You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. And so at the very top of the list, Paul is warning us not to give ourselves over to the sin of fornication, which is an extremely unloving act. And notice in verse 6 of chapter 5, we are warned by Paul not to be deceived concerning this particular sin. It's so widely accepted. God has designed for sex to be enjoyed only in marriage. However, society promotes sex outside of marriage as a perfectly normal endeavor. Pastor Mike shares the truth that anything done outside of God's original design is sin. Movies, public schools, and social media all show sex outside of marriage as healthy and acceptable. So much so that at some point you might start to think God has it wrong. Use today's message to remind yourself of the truth and recognize the lie society has sold. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Ephesians chapter 4 as he begins his message, Walking with God. in the book of Ephesians, and this is a part of our Alive in Christ series. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, literally, he was the prisoner of the Lord. Remember, this is this epistle that was written to the church at Ephesus is known as one of Paul's prison epistles. He wrote it while he was incarcerated there in Rome. Remember, he was getting the political runaround in Jerusalem. And so it was his right, being a Roman citizen, to make his appeal unto Caesar. So off he went to Rome. But now he's in Rome, arrested, shackled to one of Caesar's guards around the clock, 24 hours a day. And during which time he wrote these, what are known as the prison epistles. And the book of Ephesians happens to be uh, one of them. So literally, he was the prisoner of the Lord. But I think it's interesting. Notice he refers to himself as a prisoner of the Lord and not a prisoner of Caesar's. You know, the truth be told, we're all prisoners of the Lord, but what a wonderful bondage that is, isn't it? You know, just to be incarcerated by the Lord. What a wonderful experience that is. But anyway, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Let's back up a little bit to set the stage. The first three chapters of this epistle, the letter that was written to the church at Ephesus, as you know, if you've been here for the last several weeks, actually the last couple of months, were spent telling us 
who God is, His love, His provision, what He has done for us, what He has made available to us. And it's taken several months to just go through that category of list, right? And notice here, in verse 1, it's not until Paul reminds us of how rich we are towards God, the first three chapters, does he go on to tell us of our part in this relationship. And listen, that's exactly what Christianity is. It's a relationship, right? Yes, I know, in fact, the Bible even says that Christianity is a religion, but I would rather us consider Christianity as a relationship, this wonderful relationship that we have with God. And I'm so thankful that in this relationship, God's part far outweighs man's part. Aren't you glad about that? And we're so thankful. But I want you to think of Christianity in that way. It's a relationship, this wonderful relationship that we have with God. Now, going for the most part in the last three chapters, chapters 3 through 6, Paul goes on to address the subject of our walk with God. Now, I believe that the church has been guilty throughout the ages of reversing this order, preaching how man ought to walk to get God to respond to him. But if you think about it, that makes man the initiator of this great relationship. And then, therefore, makes God a responder to us, you know, for what we do. But that makes man the initiator, and God the responder. So therefore, here's man going through all of these spiritual exercises, you know, jumping through hoops, to the end that God might respond to me. Guess what that's called? Folks, that's pure religion. Twisted and perverted. It begins with a man base, which is absolutely impossible. Man trying to reach God, which is always destined for failure. But true Christianity teaches just the opposite. It tells us that God is the initiator. For example, John 3.16, one of the most beloved verses of Scripture in either Old or New Testament, for God so loved the world that he gave, he initiated, he gave his only begotten son, right? And then I've responded to that. Haven't we? In 1 John, here's another verse to consider, in first, which validates the claim that I'm making. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19, the Bible tells us that we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. God is the initiator of this relationship. And so I, I think for the most part, we need to correct our focus just realizing how, go, how good God is and how undeserving I am of that love, mercy, and grace. Now, chapters 1 through 3. So I, that sort of like sets the platform for this study. Now, chapters 1 through 3, a quick brief summary on behalf of those who haven't been here for the last couple of weeks, tells us, and we've already gone through all of this, and by the way, all of the messages, I think Pastor Jose had already mentioned this, they tell us what God has done for us, that he's made us one of his children, that he's made himself available to you. Now, th these are broad explanations of what we've gone through, really broke it down and, and 
you know, taken a lot closer look than generally what I'm suggesting here, made himself available to you, made available his never-ending resources. We've gone through all of this stuff. So having laid this foundation, the first three chapters, notice Paul then turns to us. And it's sort of like, you know, laying a responsibility upon us, but it's reasonable. And it's just simply a conclusion that Paul comes to for all of what God has done for us, all of the blessings that we've received, all of the wonderful gifts, how rich we are in Christ. Then he turns to us, right? And now he begins to address the subject of our walk with him. And notice in verse 1, he says, Now thus, because of all of what God has done for us, now walk in a way which is befitting or reasonable, right? That's the conclusion that he's coming to. Verse 1, go back there. Walk in a way which is befitting. You see, that's the conclusion that Paul comes to. Seeing you have this calling of God upon your life, seeing how that you've been given this position in God's kingdom, therefore, walk in such a way that is befitting or reasonable. Now, I want you to think about this, if I can use this example in this illustration. Let's say, for example, if you held a position as a prince or a dignitary or an ambassador in a certain kingdom, you know then that there is a traditional protocol that you must follow in that position. Your life is no longer your own. You're representing that kingdom. You're representing that nation. And you've become a representative, an ambassador for that kingdom. And thus, there are certain restrictions. For example, you can't be in certain places. You can't do certain things. You must conduct yourself in a certain way. And I think that that was some of the reason why Prince Harry thought that that whole position was too restrictive for him, and he bailed out on the royal family recently, right? We've all, but I think that was one of the reasons why he kind of bailed out on the royal family. But anyway, Paul tells us, walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, verse 1, or in a manner which is fitting and consistent with your being a child of God. So that is our first point, and I want you to think about that. Take that, please, into consideration. Now, as it relates to our walk with God, that's the first thing that we need to recognize, that we are representing God in this walk, in this great relationship that we have with Him. Now, in contrast, to help us to understand what that walk looks like, what it entails, in contrast, let's for a moment talk about how we shouldn't walk or how not to walk. Paul goes on to tell us exactly how we shouldn't walk in verses 17 through 19 of the same chapter. So we're going to move around a little bit. We're not going to have a pure expositional study of the scriptures, but we'll come back to those verses that I've skipped over. Remember, we just want to treat the subject of our walk with God, okay? And so let's go ahead then and read verses 17 through 19, which Paul uses to tell us how we shouldn't walk. So this is a contrast, so that, you know, it'll become a lot more clearer. So how not to walk, beginning in verse 17. This I say, therefore, 
and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, or unbelievers, when more times than not, when you see that word Gentiles, Paul is suggesting he's referring to unbelievers, because there were Gentiles who were believers, right? There were Gentiles who had given their lives to Christ, like, for example, Cornelius in the book of Acts, remember? More times than not, when you see the word Gentiles in the New Testament, it's a reference to an unbeliever. So, don't walk as the rest of the unbelievers walk in the futility or the emptiness of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness." Okay, so let me break down verses 17 through 19 for you. And that would be, again, walking in the emptiness of their mind. This is the, these are the indictments that Paul brings against them. First of all, they were guilty of walking in the emptiness of their mind. Secondly, they were walking in sexual impurity. Thirdly, they were seeking only their own gratification. And lastly, their lives were mastered by greed. Man, <laughs> guess what? That was me at one time, probably most of you. You know, referring back to our B.C. days, that is before Christ, right? Before our conversion experience. I think we can all relate to this. So basically, this is the conclusion. Paul is telling us, so don't walk after these things. They're not consistent with your being a child of God. Now, before we get into these various deviancies, let me raise this question. Why in the world would someone choose to walk in this way? Well, notice the answer is, I mean, it's a terrible place to live. I mean, think about it, totally alienated from God without the knowledge of God. I mean, when the chips are down, when life throws you a curve, you know, in this state, who do you make your appeal to? You don't make your appeal unto God. You're not even aware of the fact that there is a God. But we were all there, right, at one time or, or another, before we were illuminated and born again, and, and that third dimension of the Spirit kicked in. You know, prior to our being born again, we were a two-dimensional character, just body and soul. And we lived on that level. Think about it. And it wasn't until we were born again of the Spirit of God, where this Holy Spirit entered into us, and it's sort of like we kicked in the third gear, if you will. And now we've become alive to the things of the Spirit. And that's why Paul said, the natural man, the person who hasn't been born again, cannot discern the things of the Spirit of God, neither can he know them. That's why it's so essential for us to be born again of the Spirit of God, right? In that condition, we don't have any kind of an aptitude for God, nor do we know God. Okay, so why would anyone choose, think about that, why in the world would anyone choose to walk in this way? Well, the answer is simply, they're walking, verse 18, in the emptiness of their mind. Basically, these are the things that they were guilty of. They were ignorant, ignorant of the things of God. They had no knowledge of God. They had no sense of having the capacity to even have a relationship with God. They were alienated from God, and their hearts 
were blind to the truth. Can you imagine a worse place to live than that? Think about it. After all that we've received, knowing God the way that we know him, having this wonderful fellowship and communion with God, could you even imagine going back to that kind of an experience? I can't. You know, how truly how rich we are, how blessed we are, right? So anyway, we have been made a part of the family of God. Think about this now. These are the things that we weren't even aware of at one time. He's opened our eyes that we might know the richness of his grace and his love towards us in Christ Jesus. So once again, Paul draws this conclusion. Therefore, because of these things, don't walk as the unbeliever walks. Okay, so with that said, how then should we walk? Well, Christ set the pattern for us. Let's jump ahead to chapter 5 and verse 2. In chapter 5 and verse 2, it says that we are to walk in love, as Christ also loved us, and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for its sweet-smelling aroma. We're to walk in love. And that's the badge of Christianity, right? Jesus said that they would know that you are my disciples by your ability to be able to speak in tongues. Did he say that? No, he didn't. And I'm not trying to put that down. I'm not trying to make light of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I, I happen to possess that particular gift of the Spirit, and I exercise it when uh, I need to. So I'm not discounting the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but Jesus said the most important thing. He says, you know, if I can perform all miracles, if I speak in tongues, and if I have not love, I am nothing. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, right? Jesus said that they would know that ye are my disciples by your love one towards another. Folks, that's the badge of Christianity. It's that love of Christ in us and through us that identifies us as one of God's child. So Christ has set the pattern for us. This is the way that we ought to walk. How are we supposed to walk? We're to walk in love. But then later on, here in chapter 5, jumping ahead, in verse 25, and again, in context, this has to do with the marriage relationship we're going to get into all of this later on. We're not going to skip over any of this stuff. We'll go back and we'll, we'll revisit it and address it. and We'll talk about marriage and God's design for the marriage relationship in one of our future studies. But notice in chapter 5 and verse 25, he says, Husbands, love your wives. How? Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. That's a pretty weighty responsibility, isn't it? But that's exactly the way that we are to walk. The love that we are to give is a self-sacrificing love, right? It's not the type of the love that the world has to offer, which is self-centered. We've been given a new center, right? A new pattern to follow. We're to follow after the pattern that the Lord Jesus Christ laid down for us. And so we walk in love as Jesus loved us. But then notice, Paul goes on here to give us some illustrations of unloving ways in which people walk. And the first of which is, and that would be walking in sexual impurity. You know, as we go through this list, it's so common for people who are not believers to walk in this way. 
you know, this is just the accepted way of living a person's life apart from Christ or knowing Christ. Just accept it, really, in the day and age in which we live. So the first unloving way in which people walk, Paul draws our attention to here, is walking in sexual impurity. Notice in verse 19 here, he says, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness. Now jump ahead to chapter 5 and verse 3, and he gets a little bit more to the point here, and I think that he's talking about sexual impurity or specifically fornication. And so at the very top of the list, Paul is warning us not to give ourselves over to the sin of fornication, which is an extremely unloving act. And notice in verse 6 of chapter 5, we are warned by Paul not to be deceived concerning this particular sin. It's so widely accepted. You know, you watch these programs on TV and they, the way that they project the, the, these relationships, these sexual relationships outside of the marriage union, you know, they play it up with the nice music and, and oh, they love each other and they're giving themselves to one another. Folks, that, that's not love, that's, that's lust. And uh, people are deceived about this. We're warned in verse 6, what does it say there? Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. And so the world today has been deceived in regards to the act of fornication. When two people want to engage in promiscuous sexual sin, they say to one another, let's make love. Yet the Bible tells us it is an extremely unloving act. Because true and real love is not involved in the act at all. You see, if I really loved you, I would not seek to entice you into a relationship that can damn your soul or scar you emotionally. Enticing someone into a relationship that would violate his or her conscience before God. Folks, that's not love. And so it is totally wrong when the world refers to fornication as the act of love. And let me throw this into the mix. You know, if you have embraced that kind of a lifestyle where you're sexually active, right, outside of the marriage relationship, you better be prepared because you're also opening yourself up to sexually transmitted disease as you begin not only to have sex with that particular partner, but with every other partner that your partner has had sex with them as well. It's sort of like playing Russian roulette. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long. As we study the book of Ephesians together, we pray it has encouraged you to restore relationships. Unity can be such a hard task to accomplish, but as the Apostle Paul wrote, unity binds us together in Jesus. 
If there's someone in your life that you need to reach out to today, know we are praying both for you and for them. You've been listening to In My Father's House, and we're so glad you tuned in to hear today's teaching with Pastor Mike. To listen to today's message again, or to hear more from Pastor Mike, just search for In My Father's House on your favorite podcast platform, and be sure to subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram to keep up to date on our day-to-day happenings. If you're looking for a place in Midtown Manhattan to come together with others and worship Jesus, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday for worship at Harvest Christian Fellowship. You'll be able to reserve your seat and get directions to our easy access point at harvestnyc.org. We're also streaming each Sunday and Thursday evening so everyone has the chance to attend, even if you can't make it in person. If this broadcast has been an encouragement to you, would you consider supporting us? We'd love your prayerful support. And if you feel led, we're also thankful for any financial support. In fact, you can donate securely on our website, harvestnyc.org. Again, that was harvestnyc.org. Thanks for your support, and thanks for listening in today. Join us again next time for more, right here on In My Father's House. Where I long to be, oh my heart, not be troubled.